we've been in a series called In This House, and we've been talking about the things that makes Action Church Action Church. There's a lot of churches in our community. There's a lot of churches doing a lot of great things for the cause of Christ in our community. But we started Action Church with a very clear vision in mind. We were going to do church for those that don't do church. We didn't feel like Canton needed another church. There was 971 churches in this community when we started this church, but yet 74% of the community doesn't attend church. We thought that Canton needed a place that was doing whatever it could do to create an environment that no matter what the color of somebody's skin, no matter what their sexual preference, no matter what their social standing, no matter what they believe, where they were in their walk, if they didn't even believe there was a God, we knew that there needed to be a place created where they could come in feel accepted, feel comfortable, and do life with other people. And so early on, I began to pray about what God would have us to do, and we had some very clear values that we were going to stick to. And Phil's talked about those earlier today, and we've talked about those throughout this series. And the reality is those values dictate what we do as a church. Values are important. You need to know what your values are because your values let you know what gets a yes and what gets a no? Sometimes when something gets a no, we, we automatically assume, oh, he said no because it's a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. It's just not something that, that lines up with the values that we have here. And the reality is we live in a day and time where churches are dying. Attendance in North America is in steady decline. Church attendance is an all-time low. As I told you just a few minutes ago, 74% of Cherokee County finds church irrelevant. They find church judgmental. They find church not worth their time because it doesn't meet them where they are in life. Churches are dying, yet anything else that involves community is thriving. Community groups are thriving. Clubs are thriving. Bars are thriving because you and I were made with this need for connection. And we're going to do whatever it takes to find that connection. Most people feel more welcome than the average bar than they do the average church. The bar has actually become a place where people do life. Now, it's called that third place in life, your home, your job, and then the place you do life with other people. They refer to that as a third place, and the bar has become that place, and there's nothing wrong with a good bar. I love a good bar. But when the bar starts doing a better job of accepting people and creating community for people than the church, the church is doing something wrong. The Bible says in Genesis 2, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. We were not created to do life alone. You were not created to go through life in a reclusive way. You were not created in life to be a lone ranger. You were created in this life to do life with other people, to have connection with other people, to have relationships with other people. Even people who say they don't like people, deep, deep, deep down, they crave connection. And friends are so vital to our life. I, I, I believe this with everything that is in me, and I've seen it play out in my own life. If we get our friends right, we get our life right. If we get the right friends, the right friends set us up for success in every area of our life that matters. On the flip side of that, if you have the wrong friends, it sets you up for the wrong life. Show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. 
Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. You are now, or you soon shall be, who your friends are. I can watch somebody come through the doors of this church. I can watch them for three or four weeks. I can see who they flock to and who they begin to hang out with. It's like we have radars. We're drawn to people like us. And I can tell you all you need to know about that person. People who love drama are attracted to the people in the church who love drama. People who are workers are attracted to the people who are workers. It's amazing how that happens. And every time I make this comment, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future, somebody will come along and argue with me at the end of the service. That's cool. Here's what if you haven't learned about me yet, I'm smoking what I'm selling. So I believe... What I say, I don't just say it for shock value. I say it because, man, it's my line in the sand, and there's nothing you can do. You don't have to agree with me. You can be wrong. But you're not going to change my opinion. You show me the people you hang out with, and I'll show you the future path of your life. The Bible says this in Proverbs 13, 20. It's so simple. People say the Bible's complicated. There's nothing complicated about it. The Bible says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise, become wise. If, it, if you can walk with the wise and become wise, I think you could also say walk with fools and become a fool. You are now or you soon shall be who your friends are. One of the values that we had when we started Action Church is we wanted it to be a place where people could do life together. And I don't want you to miss out on this because every church would say that's a value. But we wanted it to be a place where people could do life together organically. And what I mean by that is, is we wanted life to happen because people enjoyed being around each other. We didn't want people to have life happening because we forced you into a Bible study together. We didn't want people having life together because we forced you into a small group together. We didn't want people having to do life together because we forced you into a serving team together. What we do around here is we do church on Sunday morning and we serve our community the rest of the week. We don't have all the frills and complications of what I consider most churches to have. We just don't do it. We're simple church to the max. So when I see people doing life together, it's because they enjoy doing life together. I heard someone say, there's just so many cliques. There's not so many cliques. There's so many groups doing life together. People are drawn to people like them. I don't get offended that the group here in the middle isn't who I'm always with in the group in the middle. We have different groups here. I'm not cool enough to be part of the group in the middle. I'm part of the lame right side of the group, Buffalo's group. Goes to Buffalo's on Sunday. That doesn't mean I don't like the middle group, and it doesn't mean they don't like the Buffaloes group. But guess what? We're all in different stages in life, in different areas in life, in different walks in life, and we're drawn to people that we can do life with. It's a beautiful thing. One of my favorite things as a pastor is when I get on Facebook and I go down our line and I, or my timeline and I see people who go to church here doing life together outside of church. True community happening. A church will only be as strong as the relationships that are formed in a church. There's power in community. Walk with the wise and you will become wise. And a companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, what that verse is saying is if you hang out with healthy people, you're bound to be healthy. If you hang out with people who love God, 
Your love for God is going to be stronger. If you hang out with people who avoid drama, guess what? You're going to do a lot better job avoiding drama. I had this one individual in this church, and I told this to their face. They're here today, so they know I'm talking about them right now. So their heart's pounding a little bit fast and a little bit nervous, so they think I'm going to call them out, and I'm not going to call them out. I'm just going to talk bad about them without calling them out. It's that passive-aggressive preacher in me. <laughs> and they come to me all the time, and they say, Gary, people have been coming to me. Have they? <laughs> what have they been coming to you about? Well, there's some concerns. What's the concerns this week? And then one day I finally looked at him after about nine weeks of nine different things people have come to him. And I don't know, I'm sure people come to him. I think it's just things they make up in their own mind. And, they, and then and they messed up about the tenth week. I said, Gary, I don't know why people keep coming to me, but they do. I said, you know why people come to you? Why? Because you listen. They don't come to me. <laughs> Every issue you talk about, I haven't heard. But you love drama, you love gossip, you love discord because your life is so pathetic. You say, you said it to their face, I said it to their face, they would tell you today. I said it to their face. I love them, but this is what they love. People know that if they go to this person, this person will come to me. Because we are now, we soon shall be who our friends are. This person loves that type of stuff. So people who love that type of stuff go to that type of person. Guess what? That person doesn't come to me anymore. I don't listen to that kind of stuff. I don't want to know about that kind of stuff. Makes me not want to be here. I don't, I, don't, I don't care what they said. Nothing that they said has ever changed anything that I've ever felt God's called us to do. The problem with so many people is they're used to a pastor who takes a salary, therefore he's the prostitute to the church and he has to do what they tell him to do for the money. They don't happen around here. Oh, that was a hobby horse. I'm sorry. That was a side trail. Squirrel. You find people who speak truth into your life. You'll be better for it. But again, if you hang out with people who are always in trouble, a complete mess, who, who, who's this and that way, guess what? You're going to become who you hang out with. You are now or you soon shall be who your friends are. I've seen it hold true in my life. I am where I am today at 40 years, 43 years old, good and bad, because of the times in my life, the people that were around me. I'm in a healthy place right now. I'm in a good place right now. And I have healthy people around me, good people around me. You want your marriage to be strong? Hang out with people who have a good marriage. Quit getting advice from people who have a sucky marriage. Well, they understand. Well, they understand because their marriage sucks. <laughs> if they had the answers, they'd change their marriage, but you're getting answers from them. You want good financial advice? Hang out with people who are financial healthy. So the other day, I said, man, I've been talking to this guy who just went bankrupt. Man, he's been throwing some advice on me. I said, he just went bankrupt. <laughs> yeah, but he's learned. He just went bankrupt. You say, is that wrong? No. I've shared you my story in that area. I get it. Let him get healthy again. Then learn from him. I think we love to hang out with miserable people and walks of life because it makes us feel better about our misery. You are now or you soon should be who your friends are. Christine and I have been together six, almost six years, a little over six years. 
And we've seen this play out in our life. I can tell you when our marriage is good and things are going good, we're surrounded by healthy people. When things are rocky, it's always her fault because we're hanging out around people who are in bad relationships. You are now, you soon shall be, what your friends are. Misery loves company. So who you surround yourself with will dictate the course in your life. The problem is, we think because someone's been in our life for 30 years, they ought to be in our life. Let me repeat that again. We think because someone's been in our life for 30 years, that gives them a right to be in our life. If they've been drama for 30 years, maybe you don't need them in your life. Or maybe you need them in your life at arm's length. Some of you should learn boundaries. I want you to go through a checklist in your mind right now. I want you to list in your mind the five closest friends that you have. Don't think about it. I'm not talking about your dog. I'm not talking about your cat. If your cat is one of your five closest friends, you really need to listen to this sermon today. <laughs> Nothing against cats, even though they're a spawn of Satan. The devil created cats. They provide nothing in life except craziness. I'm going to do a whole series on that one day. But go through the top five people. Human beings, I'm talking about the people in your life that you would call at two in the morning. That you can be transparent with. The five people in your life that know everything about you and you know everything about them. Your five close friends, I want you to list them in your head. As you think of those five people, studies say, leadership experts will tell you, psychologists will tell you, that you are the average of those five people. So what that means of those five people is you're probably not the richest of those five, but you're not the poorest. You're not the craziest of those five, but you're probably not the most sane. You're not the most liberal of those five. But unless you're Kylie Blankenship, you're not the most conservative of those five. Yet again this week, I got a private message from some person I didn't know talking about the drummer of Action Church's politics. I keep Kylie around because he's the only one that gets more private messages talking bad about him than I do. Hence why he's one of my five closest friends. Chances are financially of those five people, like I said, you're in the middle. Morally, you're probably in the middle of those five people. Spiritually, you're probably in the five of those people. You're the average of the five closest people that you do life with. Now, as you think of those five people, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I hanging with the right people? If I was to take the last, the last person... The, 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 I hate to use this terminology. I just can't think of another terminology. The, the, the one who knew the worst of the five, and I was to cut them out of my life and add someone healthier, spiritually, physically, financially, mentally, relationship-wise to my five, how would it change my life? That's the power of friendship. As you look at those five people, do you answer the question, these are people that I'd like to be like in life. I want to have a marriage like the five people that I hang out with. I want to have purpose like the five people that I hang out with. I want to have relationships like the five people that I hang out with. 
If the answer is no to that question, then you're probably hanging out with the wrong five. That's the power of friendship. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, we need to have a definition of what friendship is. Because, man, if there's ever been a word that has been diluted, it's the word friend. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 17, 17, the Facebook version. A friend is someone you may know a little or not at all, but they'll like your Facebook statuses. (laughs) Is that not our definition of friendship nowadays? Facebook in every way, because they chose to use the person when you connect with someone, they chose to use the word friend, have cheapened the word friend. I am at my limit on friends on Facebook. You can have 5,000 friends. I'm at that limit. It's funny when you're at that limit because you know exactly how many friends you have. And so I'll wake up sometimes and I'll have like five friend requests. I'm like, oh, that must mean five people dropped me. I wonder what I did to offend those five today. <laughs> of those 5,000 people, I probably know 500 of them. Of those 500 I would consider probably 100 of them acquaintances. Of those 100 acquaintances, I would consider probably 10 of them friends, by my definition of friendship. But we've cheapened the word friend on Facebook. Here's what the real Bible says, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A brother loves at all times, friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. When we're talking about friends, I'm talking about that person in your life who loves you no matter what. I'm not talking about short-term friends. I'm not talking about people that you like and you know. I'm talking about down in the dirt. I'm talking about friends that you can do everything with. You can do life. You can go through the good. You can go through the bad. You can learn from each other. You can love each other enough to tell them the truth, even when you mess up. A friend loves at all times. According to a recent study, very few of us have those type of friends. According to the American Psychological review, the average American today said they have two close friends. Two. Just 25 years ago, the average American said they had six close friends. So in 25 years, the amount of friends we have has dropped by two-thirds. What's even scarier, though, is 25% of Americans report that they literally have zero close friends. They have no one that they would consider Someone who loves at all times. Someone who's born for that time of adversity. In a day and time where we're more connected through social media than ever before, where we have more noise from people than ever before, we have less friends than ever before. Why is that? And they say, well, there's a lot of reasons why. They say, first of all, increased work hours. They say it used to be 30, 40 years ago, people worked 40 hours. That's what they did, and they came home. Now the average person works anywhere from 60 to 65 hours a week. A large portion of society has more than one job. So increased work hours decreases the time we have for relationships and connections. They say the second reason friendships have declined from by two-thirds, from people saying they have six to two, is divorce rates. You ever had a friend? You ever been friends with a couple and they get divorced? Anybody? 
like it or not, you, you, you pick one. You know, or they get to pick you. Sometimes it's in the divorce decree. I had a couple at my last church. I kid you not. It was written in their divorce decree who got to come to the church I pastored. A church that had three services and about 1,200 people, they decided they could not attend that church together, and they argued in mediation over who got the church. It's kind of weird. Divorce rates have affected that. Social media has affected that. My kids literally have no human contact with other kids their age, to me it seems like. Yet they communicate with kids their age more than ever. Emily, from the time she walks in the house to the time she goes to bed, is connected with somebody through a phone, through some social media engagement or FaceTime. But we know that true friendships don't develop that way. There's some things you just got to be old-fashioned about. So when it comes to close friends, they say that increased work hours, divorce rates, social media has devastated true friendship. This is something that psychologists, they call it relational poverty. We're surrounded by people. We're surrounded by voices. We're surrounded by sounds. But we really have no real friends we have fake friends who allow us to see what they want us to see on social media. Had a guy I know who's single, and he recently went on a date with a girl he met online. And I talked to him, I said, man, how'd it go? He said, it went great once I found her. I said, what do you mean once you found her? He said, man, we got to the place and there was nobody there who looks like her. I said, what do you mean no one looked like her? He said, I was literally messaging her. She's like, I'm here. He said, but I've never seen a picture of her, I guess unfiltered before, and I couldn't find her. Finally, she said, I'm wearing this, this, and this. He said, I found her. After I got past the awkwardness of she looked nothing like I imagined her looking, we had a great time. We live in a weird day and time when it comes to people. We're surrounded by people, but we have relational poverty. I, I'm, I'm a huge believer that most of us are one friend away. Don't miss this. One friend away from changing the course of our destiny. That's how powerful I believe friends are. Over the last six or seven months, I've developed a friendship with an individual. It just sort of happened. We met online. We had some of the same interests. Now we're doing business together. Now we're messaging each other. We talk all the time. We're keeping each other accountable in business endeavors and investments and where we're going in the future. And what it's done is the Bible says iron sharpens iron. It's made me step up my game. I've made him step up his game. He's healthy in some areas that I'm not healthy in, like physically. I'm healthy in some areas he's not healthy in, like starting businesses and sticking with things. And we've been able to feed off each other. And it's benefited both of us because that's the power of friendship.
You're one friendship away from changing the course of your life. I remember one time, I've never been on a foreign mission trip before, but I went to a mission trip one time to the um, Appalachians up in the Kentucky area, West Virginia area. I don't know if you've ever been to that part of the country before. It's like another country. People live in ways that you've never seen in your life. The poverty there is indescribable. People live in homes you wouldn't allow your dogs to live in. There is no future there. There's no hope there. There's no jobs there. There's no money there. It literally is one of the most depressing areas you've ever been to in your life. Yet when you go there, there's this strange peace there. Because there's this community there. There's this family. Now, most of them are married to family members, so that might have something to do with it. But there's this family there. There's this bond there that in some ways gives you peace that you're almost jealous about. They know that each other has their backs, and there's connection, and there's community there. In Acts chapter 9, there's a great story of Paul. Now, for Paul was Paul, his name was Saul. And Paul used to be Saul, and when he saw, his job was to literally kill Christians. So Saul gets his life transformed, he becomes Paul, and this weird thing happens. The church wants nothing to do with him. Why? Because he used to kill them. Now they don't trust him. And somebody comes along and puts their stamp of approval on Paul's life. And the process changes Paul's life. Look what it says. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, he being Paul. But they were all afraid of him. Rightfully so. Not believing that he was really a disciple. They thought he was trying to pull one over on This is the guy who used to kill us, man. Don't buy into his stuff. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas came along and put his stamp of approval on Paul. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. That's the power of one friend. Paul went on to write much of the New Testament, went on to start churches that started churches that started churches that sent people across the country that started churches. And we're here today because Paul started churches. And he would have never got that opportunity had he not had that one friend who came along and said, man, I'll vouch for this guy. I got this guy. I see what no one else sees in him. The power of a friendship, when you have the right friends, friends will change your destiny. When I thought God was done with me, I had a friend who came along and said, wherever you go, I'm going. And he said, when you decide to start a church again, I'm going to be your first volunteer. And he was for years. And guess what? Had that not one friend not put his stamp on me and given me the encouragement I needed, Action Church wouldn't exist. That's the power of friendship. Everybody needs friends. The Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. You were not created to do life alone. You were created for friendships. But you've got to have the right kind of friends. You've got to have friends who lift you up and make you better. And I want to point out the three types of friends today that each and every one of us need to have. And I want to look at the life of David as we do that. 
Most of us know who David is because David killed Goliath. He killed the giant. But you don't realize who David was before that. Before that, David was just a little shepherd boy who was chosen by God to be king. David, the Bible says, had a heart after God's own heart. Yet David was far from perfect. Man, David was constantly screwing up. He had an affair. Not only did he have an affair, he killed the lady's husband. As a result of that, he lost his child. He had other children who were in open rebellion, and one of his children tried to kill him where they could become king. You want to talk about a drama series, baby. David was a drama series. But David was one of the greatest leaders ever. And every time a great leadership moment was made, you can tell us because he had someone in his life who was a friend. I want to give you some principles today of the type of friends we need to have from the life of David. And I want you to ask yourself today, are the friends you have these type of friends? I want you to be honest with yourself today. I know that's hard to be honest because we love to lie to ourselves and imagine that our friends and our life and our purpose is better than it really is. But if you really want to live the life you're careful, you've got to get honest with yourself. You've got to be true about the, the people in your life. And are they making you better or are they making you worse? Are, are they making you better or are they making you stagnant? Better or worse is easy. Sadder things stagnant, going nowhere. First thing is you need a friend who will make you better. You need a friend who will make you better. Let me tell you where we're at in the story of David. Saul is God. I mean, Saul is king. Saul is, this is a different Saul than Saul and Paul. Saul has become king. He has moved into a point where his power is out of control and he is now defiling God. So God comes along and tells Samuel, Samuel was a prophet. He said, I want you to go out into the land and I'm going to point you out who's the next man to be the king. And I want you to anoint him the new king. So Samuel begins to go out across the land and he begins to go to farm to farm. And he begins to look over and see people. And one day he shows up at the farm of Jesse. And he looks at all Jesse's sons, and they're strapping young lads. The Bible says they were all handsome, and they were all talented, and they were all physically imposing, and they were all leaders. And Jesse goes down the line, and God says, not him. He goes the next one, and God says, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. Finally, Samuel looks at Jesse and says, do you have another son? I don't feel like I'm supposed to leave here, but none of these are the right man. And Jesse says, man, I've got the runt. I've got my youngest. He's nothing like these men. He's out in the field tending to the sheep. And Samuel said, go get him. And he comes along, and Samuel sees him. And as he sees him in his flesh, he sees nothing. He begins to look at David, and the Bible says this in 1 Samuel 16. And the Lord says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. God sees things that we don't see. Let me repeat that because you seem a little dead today. I get I'm on cold medicine. I'm not as excitable as normal. I need you to track with me. God sees things we don't see. The Bible says, so Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. I love this. 
There wasn't a person here who thought David was king material. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Not even his dad. That's hard to be honest about your own kid. Christine has this uncanny ability to be honest about the areas that our kids are not the best in. I do not. She's like, I know you think Luke's perfect in every area, but he's not. That's my Christine voice, though. Christine doesn't sound like that. Um, uh, I'm not really good at impersonations. And so, but Jesse, man, he was like Christine. He was honest. He was like, that one? No. How about John over here? How about Joe over here? How about Fred? Come on. David, he's the runt. I think you got it wrong. His own dad didn't see what he could be. But Samuel did. Samuel looked at him and God began to reveal to him, this is the next king. He began to see things in the supernatural instead of the natural. Listen, he poured his life, you'll see, into making David better. After he anointed David king, Samuel took him under his wing and he began to groom him and teach him the ways of leadership, teach him the ways of being a leader, teaching him the ways of being a king. He brought out the best in his friend. That's the type of friend we all need. You need a friend who sees the best in you. You need a friend who sees the potential in you. You need a friend that when you come to and you're telling the vision for your life and what you want to do in your life, they're not telling you all the reasons that's not possible. They're looking into you and they're pouring into you and they're cheering you on and they're encouraging you because the world will beat the hell out of you. You need a friend who will be there to lift you up. You need that friend. I'm surrounded by people who are hustlers and entrepreneurs and dreamers. And every time... They start talking, no matter how crazy I think the idea is. Now, I'll give them reality about the idea. I'll tell them my thoughts on the idea. But at the end of the day, I'm always encouraged. You go chase it. You do whatever. Go quit that job today. Your wife don't, no cares. It's just the way I'm wired. Christine, she goes, you got to quit encouraging people to quit their jobs. We had some people that we, we kind of know, randomly know, they came over and ate with us one time. I'm in my yard three months later. This is about two weeks ago. He pulls in the driveway. I said, man, what are you doing? Just quit my job, man, like you told me to. I said, who told you to? You did. I said, when? That day I was over. That day I was drinking on the back porch with you, and you were telling me that crazy dream you had, and I don't even really know you. I said, man, just go do it. We well, did it. He's driving Uber now. <laughs> Don't always listen to me. <laughs> but you need that friend that's going to encourage you along the way. I was like, how's your wife think about that? She's cool with it. I said, awesome. I'm glad you did it, man. That's awesome. We need a friend who will make you better. We need people who will come along and pour into us, believe in us, who are willing to invest in us. We need people who are willing to learn and return. Learn from others and return that blessing on to us. If you don't have that in your life, you're never going to reach your potential. The problem is a lot of you don't have that. 
because misery loves company. So you got friends who want to tell you all the reasons it can't work. You got friends that want to tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't do it because they don't have the testicular fortitude to step out and do it on their own. They don't want you to step out and do it on your own. For you Jasper people, that means the balls to do that. <laughs> We're just a negative person. I love all of you. I love all of you. And I'm not trying to pick on you, but let me give you an example of negativity. I counted today, pulling in the parking lot. I counted because I knew it was going to happen. Counted. Three people, three people, don't miss this, three people, leaving right after this and going on a cruise. Three people said, man, I hope you guys have a great time on that cruise. Eight people said, hope you don't get that virus. <laughs> hope you don't get stuck on that ship. Shut up. <laughs> like, people are just negative, man. Just negative. Bought that truck, like everybody. I bought a Dodge. Shut up. They're all crap. They all break down. God. Like someone, I, it makes my skin crawl like when someone gets like cancer. I never hear anybody go to someone cancer and be like, man, that's rough. But I got a friend, man, they had that and they overcame that and they beat that. Man, you got this. It's always, oh, man, that's scary. My aunt died of that. Thank you. That's exactly what I wanted to hear right now as I deal with cancer. Thank you so much for the encouragement. We're just negative. But you need to get around some friends who will make you better. Want you to chase your dreams. Want you to be happy. Man, we know what else we need. We need a friend who will help you find. Oh, hold on. The Bible says this right here, Proverbs 27. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. How do you, how do you sharpen a knife against piece of iron we sharpen each other we make each other better a friend who helps you find spiritual strength is another type friend you need don't miss out on this you need a friend who helps you find spiritual strength you need a friend who's going to point you to the things of god because the things of god are not always the things of our natural inclination moving on a few years david is now king he's been anointed king He's become a war hero. All the women are starting to notice what a study is. Man, the Bible talks about the women just throwing their panties at David, man, or whatever they wore back then. But he's not been on the throne yet. Saul's still technically the king. David's got all the power. He's getting the following, but Saul's still on the throne. And Saul begins to get jealous of David because David is getting his following. So he plots to kill David. David is battling that discouragement. He knows he's called by God, but he knows it's not his time yet. He's just doing what God's called him to do, and now Saul's trying to kill him. And look what happens. While David was in the desert, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David and helped him find strength in God. David had a friend named Jonathan who saw where he was. And he came along for one purpose and one purpose only, to help him find strength in God. He said, do not be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. He reminded him of God's promise, and I will be second to you. Now, hey, by the way, Jonathan technically was supposed to be first. He was Saul's son. You talk about a humble dude who knew his role. Holy smokes. 
Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained. Every single one of us needs a friend who will help us find spiritual strength in life. I don't care how mature you are, you're going to get tempted along the way. I don't care how long you've been walking with God, you're going to have moments of doubt along the way. You need a friend who comes along because I am with you through this. I'm not going to just pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to strengthen you in the things of the Lord. There's times in my life, man, that I get frustrated with my walk. I got pretty thick skin. You don't do what we do around here and not deal with criticism. But there's times, man, the criticism, it's rare, but there's time the criticism does get to me. And every time that it does, someone comes along in my life who reminds me of my calling in life or something happens right here that reminds me of what God wants us to do. You need someone who's going to point you to the things of God. There's different times at different places. That's different people. The last week I've been frustrated about a situation. I've been on edge about a situation. In the last couple of weeks or so, it's been my wife who's come on. You need to remember God's going to get this. You need to go to God. Don't you hate when it's your wife who does that crap too? Man, hey, you need, I hate when she says, you need to practice what you preach. Oh, okay. She's right, though. You need that friend who's going to come along. Now, I believe you need that friend who's going to say, yeah, let's go kill him. I got you. <laughs> but you also need that friend that says, hey, man, the Bible says we shouldn't kill anybody. We need to pray for him. If you only had the friend who said, let's kill him, things are going to be bad. You've got to have that, that friend who reminds you of how good God is. You, you need to, to, a friend who's going to come along and remind you that you're doing something incredible that Satan hates. You need a friend who comes along and gives you the stories and reminds you of all the people that you've helped along the way. And when you're frustrated and think there's no results, man, you can keep going. Listen, listen, listen. David had that. Jonathan said, focus. God called you. Saul's not going to kill you. My dad's not going to kill you because God called you. You're going to get through this. We have this illusion that because we follow God, everything's easy, but it's not. You need a friend to come along and walk with you, open up the word of God and get in your life. Some of you don't have a spiritual friend, and it's evident. The last thing, and we're going to get out of here. We need a friend who will tell you the truth. This one might be the most vital. I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm going to share a story with you here in a minute. It's real raw. You need a friend who will tell you the truth. David has an affair. Kills the lady's husband. Kills the lady's husband to cover up his affair. And only one person in all the land is willing to confront him about his sin. No one else is willing to confront him. If you're scared to confront someone with the truth, you're not their friend. One dude, a guy named Nathan, and Nathan was a pimp. Nathan rolls up, and he, he doesn't sly like Yoda. He said, hey, King, let me tell you a story. David said, I love stories. He says, there's this shepherd guy, and he had a thousand sheep, thousands upon thousands of sheep. But the guy who lived next door to him only had one sheep, and that guy loved that sheep. 
That was all he could afford was that one sheep. And he loved that sheep and he fed that sheep and he took care of that sheep. And the guy that had a thousand sheep could have any sheep he wanted. But the guy who had the thousand sheep had someone come over. He needed to feed them. Instead of going and killing his, one of his thousands of sheep, he went and killed the neighbor's one sheep. David's enraged. He's furious. He said, tell me where this man is. I'll kill this man. Whew. And Nathan looked at him, 2 Samuel. Nathan said to David, you are that man. You could have any woman you wanted. You're the freaking king. You have multiple wives. And back then, they got to have concubines. Say, what's a concubine? It's just like, I don't know really what it was. It was just women you had to have sex with. That's a whole other level back then, okay? Like, why would you want multiple wives? I love my wife. Why would you want two of them? Two of them telling you what to do. And David had like a hundred something of them. Yet he saw this woman. And he took the one woman. And Nathan said, you're that man. Finally, someone who was willing to speak truth into David's life. I don't have time to read Psalms 51, but you know what happened as a result of Nathan confronting David? In Psalms 51, you'll see David's prayer of repentance. It broke him. The truth broke him. If you don't have a friend who's willing to be honest with you, you don't have a friend. There was a time in my life when I imploded, I lost everything. I was arrogant and cocky. See, you're all those things now. Nah, you have no clue. And at the time when it happened, had you come to me, I wouldn't have listened. But I've often thought to myself, what would have happened if someone would have come to me a year before that happened and spoke truth into my life? But everyone was afraid. They were all getting a paycheck, and everybody was, everybody was getting rich by the hand. No one wanted to upset the, the cart. No one was willing to speak truth. Someone speaking truth will change your life. I have people in my life now that speak truth. And I'm going to tell you how it works in my life when you speak truth into my life. I don't like it. I don't. Is this not how it works, Christine? You come to me and you speak truth, I get angry, right? I get mad. I tell you all the reasons you're wrong. You walk away. My friends walk away. But this is always what happens. About a day later, I'm like, damn. <laughs> Guess they were right. I learned because someone's willing to speak truth in their mind. You're not always going to like truth. But you've got to speak truth. I have some friends in my life that are chasing their dreams. And I've noticed a couple of them quit, have quit coming to me and asking advice. You know why? Because they don't like the truth. Truth is they're never going to accomplish what they want to accomplish because they're lazy. I told him that. But I said, all right, I've, I've spoke the truth. There's a principle, it's called the principle of the 10%. And what it means is, for most people, we tell them 90% of what they need to hear. But the last 10% are the life-changing things, but we're scared to say the, the, the 10% because we're afraid that'll end the relationship. You need people in your life that are willing to say the truth. Nathan went to the king. The king could have killed Nathan right then for not liking what he had to say. 
but he didn't. You need someone in your life who's going to tell you the truth. Not to be an a-hole. Don't miss this. Not to be an a-hole. You need someone in your life who's going to tell you the truth because they love you enough to tell you the truth. They love you enough that they want to see you successful in life. They love you enough they want you to have the best and be the best. The Bible says this, and we're done. Proverbs 27 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. We all want to hear how great we are. We don't need to hear how great we are. We need to hear the areas we need to improve and work on. Iron sharpens iron. One of our values here is I hope friendships are formed here. True friendships. Good friendships. For friendships that, that change our friendships that will make us better. Friend, friends that point us to have spiritual strength. Friendships that will tell us the truth and speak truth into our life. Because when you have a great friend like that, man, the world is your oyster. You can change the world with the right friends.